I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, um, I literally have nothing to talk about. No uh, funny quips. No cute little stories. Uh, the fly thing, not worth talking about. Uh, not showing any signs of COVID like I was worried about with that creepy guy who was in my basement breathing all over me, talking about how he's had an outdoor concert in the Wisconsin Dells. So everything seems fine. Uh, so life's just back to being boring. I, I walk a lot, dieting. That's it. Nothing worth retelling to anyone about anything. Just finished a podcast with Ben where we're reading Fifty Shades of Grey, which is, uh, it's annoying. It's not a well-written book, but not as frustrating and taxing and emotionally draining as reading Twilight books. So there's not even anything to complain about there or talk about. And that's pretty much it. Uh, I got nothing else. So with that, let's dive into the next two chapters. I don't have the kids here, so I'm going to read the two chapters, of 26 and 27, of uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Ah, well, let's learn a little bit about Samuel Langhorn Clemens, also known as Mark Twain. Uh, I've run out of facts from biographyyourdictionary.com. Uh, I got one left. During the last years of his life, he was the vice president of the American Anti-Imperialist League. Weird, uh, no one's really part of specific organizations anymore, and they don't call them leagues unless they're sports-related. So there's that. That's pretty boring. Uh, so let's learn a little something about Sigmund Freud. Uh, the inspiration. Freud read a book named The Art of Becoming an Original Writer in Three Days <laughs> by the author Ludwig, Ludwig Born. It is a distinct possibility that the idea for his famous concept of free association came from that book. Oh, did that book have a thing about free association in it? Like, did that, did Ludwig, Ludwig think it up to uh, begin with? Uh, well, let me do another one. Misconception. George Gridock, Grodock, the physician is known to have published a book in the year 1923, in which he mentioned the concept of Das S. Freud credited Grodek in his famous book Das Ich und Das S. But most people believe it to be a Freudian concept. Famous patients? Oh, all of us know the famous composer Gustav Mahler, but I'm sure that very few would know his impotency that Freud treated. Oh, that's disturbing. 
Alright, well, let's, uh, let's dive into the book. Chapter 26 Oh, about noon the next day, the boys arrived at the dead tree. They had come for their tools. Tom was impatient to go to the haunted house. Oh, Huck was measurably so also. It suddenly said, Eh, uh, looky here, Tom. Do you know what day it is? Tom mentally ran over the days of the week and then quickly lifted his eyes with a startled look in them. My, I never once thought of it, Huck. Well, I didn't either, but all at once it popped into me that it was Friday. Blame it. A body can't be too careful, Huck. We might have got into an awful scrape tackling such a thing on a Friday. Might? I better say we would. There's some lucky days, maybe, but Friday ain't. Any fool knows that. I don't reckon you was the first that found out, Huck. Well, I never said I was, did I? And Friday ain't all in either. I had a rotten bad dream last night. I dreamt about rats. No. Sure sign of trouble. Did they fight? No. Well, that's good, Huck. Uh, when they don't fight, it's only a sign that there's trouble around, you know. All we gotta do is uh, look mighty sharp and keep out of it. We'll drop this thing for today and uh, play. Do you know Robin Hood, Huck? Uh, no. Who's Robin Hood? Uh, why, he's one of the greatest men that ever was in England. And the best. He's a robber. Cracky. I wish I was. Who'd he rob? Uh, only sheriffs and bishops and uh, rich people and kings and such like. And he never bothered the poor. He loved them. He always uh, divvied up with them perfectly square. Uh, he must have been a brick. I bet you he was, Huck. Oh, he was the noblest man that ever was. Uh, they ain't any men, such men now, I can tell you. And he would lick any man in England with one hand tied behind him. And he could take his U-O and plug a ten-cent piece every time, a, a mile and a half. What's uh, a U-O? I don't know. It's some kind of bow, of course. If you hit the dime only on the edge, you could set it down and cry and curse. But we'll play Robin Hood. It's a, it's a knobby fun. I'll learn you. I'm agreed. So they played Robin Hood all the afternoon, now and then casting a yearning eye down upon the haunted house and passing a remark about tomorrow's uh, prospects and the possibilities there. As the sun began to sink into the west, they took their way homeward, uh, athwart the long shadows of the trees, and soon were buried from sight in the forests of Cardiff Hill. On Saturday, shortly after noon, the boys were at the dead tree again. Ah, they had a smoke and a chat in the shade and then dug a little in their last hole, but not with great hope, but merely because Tom said there were so many cases where people had given up treasure after getting down within six inches of it. Oh, and then somebody else had come along and turned it up with a single thrust of a shovel. The thing failed this time, however, so the boys shouldered their tools and went away feeling that they had not trifled with fortune, but had fulfilled all the requirements that belonged to the business of treasure hunting. When they reached the haunted house... Ah, there was something so weird and grisly about the dead silence that reigned there under the, the baking sun, and something so depressing about the loneliness and desolation of the place that they were afraid for a moment to venture in. Then they crept to the door and took a trembling peep. Uh, they saw a weed-ground, floorless room, unplastered an ancient fireplace, vacant windows, a ruinous staircase, and here, there, and everywhere hung ragged and abandoned cobwebs. They presently entered... Softly, with quickened pulses, talking in whispers, ears alert to catch the slightest sound, and, and muscles tense and ready for instant retreat. In a little while, familiarity uh, modified their fears, and they gave a place a critical and uninterested examination. 
uh, rather admiring their own boldness and wondering at it, too. Next, they wanted to look upstairs. There was something like a cutting-off retreat, but they got uh, to daring each other, and of course they could be one result. They threw their tools into a corner and made the ascent. Up there were the same signs of decay. In one corner, they found a closet that promised mystery. Yeah, but the promise was the front. There was nothing in it. The courage was up now and well in hand. They were about to go down and begin work when, Shh, said Tom. What is it? whispered Huck, blanching with fright. Shh, there, hear it? Yes, oh my, let's run. Keep still, don't you budge. They're coming right toward the door. The boys stretched themselves upon the floor with their eyes to knot holes in the planking and lay waiting in a misery of fear. They've stopped. No coming. Here they are. Don't whisper another word, Huck. My goodness, I wish I was out of this. Two men entered, each boy said to himself. There's the old deaf and dumb Spaniard who's been about town once or twice lately. Never saw Tother man before. Tother was a ragged, unkept creature with nothing very pleasant in his face. The Spaniard was wrapped in a srape, a srape. All right, whatever. He had white bushy whiskers. Ah, long white hair flowed from under his sombrero. Sombrero. And he wore green goggles. When they came in, Tother was talking in a low voice. He sat down on the ground and facing the door with the backs to the wall, and the speaker continued his remarks. His manner became less guarded and his words more distinct as he proceeded. No, said he. I've thought it all over. I don't like it. It's dangerous. Dangerous, grunted the deaf and dumb Spaniard, to the vast surprise of the boys. Milksop. This voice made the boys gasp and quake. It was Injun Joe's. There was a silence for some time. Then Joe said, What's any more dangerous than that job up yonder? Yeah, but nothing come of it. Well, that's different. Away up the river, so. And not another house about. T'won't ever be known that we tried anyway, as long as we didn't succeed. Well... What's more dangerous than coming up here in the daytime? Anybody with suspicion uh, of us saw that. I know that, but there ain't any other place. It's handy after that fool of a job. I want to quit this shanty. I wanted yesterday, only it weren't any use trying to stir out of here with those infernal boys playing over there on the hill right in full view. Oh, those infernal boys quaked again the, under the inspiration of this remark and thought how lucky it was that they had remembered it was Friday and concluded to wait a day. They wished in their hearts that they had waited a year. The two men got out some food and made a luncheon. After a long and thoughtful silence, Injun Joe said, uh, Look here, lad, you go back up the river where you belong. Wait there till you hear from me. I'll take the chances on dropping into this town just once more for a look. We'll do that dangerous job. Cat, get out of the drawer. My cat can literally open a drawer and try to get in. It's really obnoxious. After I'd spied around a little, I uh, think, uh, well, look for it. Then for Texas, we'll leg it together. Oh, this was satisfactory. Both men presently fell into yawning, and Injun Joe said, uh, I'm dead for sleep. It's your turn to watch curled down in the weeds and soon began to snore. His comrade stirred him once or twice and he became quiet. Presently the watcher began to nod, his head drooped lower and lower. Both men began to snore now. The boys drew a long, grateful breath. Ah, Tom whispered, now's our chance, come, Huck said. I can't, 
I'd die if they was awake. Tom urged. Huck held back. At last, Tom rose slowly and softly and started alone. But the first step he made wrung such a hideous creak from the crazy floor that he sank down almost dead with fright. He never made a second attempt. The boys lay there, counting the dragging moments till it seemed to them that time must have done an eternity growing gray. Then they were grateful to note that it was the last sun was setting. Now one snore ceased. Injun Joe sat up, stirred around, smiled grimly upon his comrade, whose head was dropping upon his knees, and stirred him up with his foot and said, uh, Here, you're a watchman, ain't you? All right, though, nothing's happened. My, have I been asleep? Oh, partly, partly. Nearly time for us to be moving. Pard, whatever that means. And we'll do with that with a little swag we got left. Oh, I don't know. Leave it here as we've always done, I record. Uh, no use take it anyway till we start south. 650 uh, silvers is something to carry. Well, all right. It won't matter to come here once more. No, but I'd say come in the night as we used to do. It's better. Yes, but look here. It may be a good while before I get the chance at that job. Accidents may happen. Taint in such a very good place. I just uh, regularly bury it and bury it deep. Eh, good idea, said the comrade, who walked across the room, knelt down, raised one of the rearward health stones, and took out a bag that jingled pleasantly. He subtracted it from twenty or thirty dollars for himself as much as Injun Joe, and passed the bag to the latter, who was on his knees in the corner now, digging with his bowie knife. Oh, the boys forgot all their fears, all their miseries in an instant. With gloating eyes, they watched every moment. Look, the splendor of it was beyond all imagination. Six hundred dollars was money enough to make a half a dozen boys rich. Here was treasure hunting under the happiest auspices. Oh, there was not to be any bother, so uncertainty of where to dig. They nudged each other every moment, eloquent nudges, and easily understood, for they simply meant, Oh, but ain't you glad now we're here? Joe's knife struck upon something. Hello, said he. What is it, says comrade? A half-rotten plank. No, it's a box, I believe. Here, bear a hand, and we'll see what it's here for. Oh, never mind, it broke a hole. He reached in his hand and drew out, dash, man, it's money. The two boys examined the handful of coins. They were gold. The boys above were as excited as themselves and as delighted. Joe's comrade said, oh, We'll make quick work of this. There's an old rusty pick over amongst the weeds in the corridor on the other side of the fireplace. I saw it a minute ago. He ran and brought the boy's pick and shovel. Engine Joe took the pick, uh, looked it over critically, shook his head, muttered something to himself, and then began to use it. The box was soon unearthed. It was not very large. It was iron-bound and had been very strong before its slow years had injured it. The men contemplated the treasure a while in blissful silence. Pard, there's thousands of dollars here, said Injun Joe. "'Twas always said that Merle's gang used to be around here one summer, the stranger observed. Oh, I know it, said Injun Joe. And this looks like it, I should say. Now, you don't need to do that job, the half-breed frowned. Said he, you don't know me, least you don't know all about the thing. Tate robbery altogether, it's revenge. And a wicked flame lighted in his eyes. I'll need your help in it. When it's finished, then Texas. Go home to your Nance and your kids. And stand by till you hear from me. 
Well, if you say so. What'll to do with this? Buried again? Yes. Ravishing delight overhead. No. By the great schism, no. Profound distress overhead. I nearly forgot that pick had fresh earth on it. The boys were sick with terror in a moment. What business is a pick and a shovel here? What business with fresh earth on them? Who brought them here and where are they gone? Have you heard anybody? Seen anybody? What? Bury it again and leave them to come and see the ground disturbed. Not exactly. Uh, Not exactly. We'll take it to my den. Why, of course. Might have thought of that before. You mean, uh, number one? Oh, no, number two, under the cross. Uh, The other place is bad, too common. All right, it's nearly dark enough to start. Injun Joe got up and went about the window to window, cautiously peeping out. Presently he said, Who could have brought those tools here? Do you reckon they can be upstairs? Oh, the boy's breath forsook them. Injun Joe put his hand on his knife, halted a moment, undecided, and then turned toward the stairway. The boys thought of the closet, but their strength was gone, the steps creaking up the stairs. The intolerable distress of the situation woke the stricken resolution of the lads. They were about to spring for the closet, when there was a crash of rotten timbers, and Injun Joe landed on the ground amid the debris of the ruined stairway. Oh, he gathered himself up cursing, and his comrade said, And I was the use of all that. If it's anybody, uh, they're up there. Let them stay there. Who cares? If they want to jump down now and get into trouble, who objects? It'll be in the dark in 15 minutes, and then let them follow us if they want to. I'm willing, in my opinion, whoever hove those things in there caught sight of us and took us for ghosts or devils or something. I'll bet they're running yet. Now Joe grumbled a while. Then he agreed with his friend that what with daylight was left ought to be economized and uh, getting things ready for leaving. Shortly afterward, they slipped out of the house in the deepening twilight and moved toward the river with their precious box. Tom and Huck? Now they rose up, weak but vastly relieved, and stared after them through the chinks uh, between the logs of the house. Follow? Oh, not they. They were content to reach the ground again without broken necks and take the downward track over the hill. Ah, they didn't talk much. Ah, they were too absorbed in hating themselves, hating the ill luck that made them take the spade and the pick there. But for that, Injun Joe never would have suspected. He would have hidden the silver with the gold to wait out till his revenge was satisfied. And then he would have had the misfortune to find the money turn up missing. Oh, bitter, bitter luck that the tools were ever brought there. They resolved to keep a lookout for that Spaniard when he should come to town, spying for chances to do his revengeful job, and follow him to number two, wherever that might be. Then a ghastly thought occurred to Tom. Uh, uh, revenge? Uh, what if he beats us, Huck? Ah, uh, don't, said Huck, nearly fainting. They talked it all over, and as they entered town, they agreed to believe that he might possibly mean somebody else. At least, he might at least mean nobody but Tom, since only Tom had testified. Very, very small comfort it was to Tom to be alone in danger, exclamation point. Company would be a palpable improvement, he thought. Chapter 27 The adventure of the day mightily tormented Tom's dreams at night. Four times he had his hands on that rich treasure, and four times it wasted to nothingness. In his fingers, as as sleep forsook him and wakefulness brought back the hard 
reality of his misfortune. As he lay in the early morning recalling the incidents of his great adventure, he noticed that they seemed curiously subdued and far away, somewhat as if they had happened in another world, or in a time long gone by. Then it occurred to him that the great adventure itself must be the dream. There was one very strong argument in favor of this idea, namely that the quantity of coin he had seen was too vast to be real. He had never seen as much as fifty dollars in one mass before, and he was like all boys of his age and station in life, in that he imagined uh, that all references to hundreds and thousands were mere fanciful forms of speech, and that no such sums actually existed in the world. Ah, he had never supposed for a moment that so large a sum as a hundred dollars was to be found in actual money in anyone's possession. If his notions of hidden treasure had been uh, analyzed, they would have been found to consist of a handful of real dimes and a bushel of vague, splendid, ungraspable dollars. But the incidents of this adventure grew sensibly sharper and clearer under the attrition, oh lord, I'm not, let's move on, of thinking them over. And so he presently found himself leaning to the impression that the thing might not have been a dream after all. This uncertainty uh, must be swept away. He would snatch a hurried breakfast and go and find Huck. Huck was sitting on a gunwale of a flatboat, listlessly dangling his feet in the water and looking very melancholy. Tom concluded to let Huck lead up the subject. If he did not do it, then the adventure would be proved to have only been a dream. Ah, uh, uh, hello, Huck. Ah, uh, hello yourself. Silence for a moment. Tom, if we'd have left the blamed fools at the dead tree, we'd we'd a lot of the money. Oh, ain't it awful? Taint a dream, then. Taint a dream. Somehow I most wish it was. Uh, dogged if I didn't, Huck. Uh, what a dream. Oh, that thing yesterday. I've been half thinking it was. A uh, dream? If them stairs hadn't broke down, you'd have seen how much of a dream it was. I've had dreams enough all night. What with that patched-eye Spanish devil going for me all through him. Rod him. No, not rod him. Find him. Track the money. Oh, Tom, we'll never find him. A feller don't have only one chance for such a pile. And that one's lost. I'd feel mighty shaky if I was to see him anyway. Well, so do I, uh, but I like to see him anyway, uh, and track him out to his number two. Oh, number two, yes, that's it. I haven't think about that, but can't make nothing of it. Uh, what do you reckon it is? Oh, I don't know. It's too deep. Say, Huck, maybe uh, it's a number of a house. Oh, goody. No, Tom, uh, that ain't it. If it is, it ain't uh, one in this horse town. Uh, oh, one in this one horse town. Uh, they ain't no numbers here. Well, that's so. Let me think a minute. Here it's a number of a room, and a tavern, uh, you know. Ooh, that's the trick. Uh, they ain't only two taverns. We can find them quick. Well, you stay here, Huck. I'll come. Tom was off at once. He did not care to have Huck's company in public places. He was gone half an hour. He found that in the best tavern, number two, had long been occupied by a young lawyer. But it was still so occupied... So, in the less ostentatious house, uh, ostentatious house uh, number two was a mystery. The tavern keeper's young son said it was kept locked all the time. Uh, you never saw anybody go into it or come out of it except at night. He did not know any particular reason for the state things. He had some little curiosity, but is rather feeble. He had made the most of the mystery by entertaining himself with the idea that the room was haunted. Had noticed that there was a light in there the night before. Uh, that's what I found out, Huck. 
I reckon that it's uh, the very number two we're after. I reckon it is, Tom. Now, what are you going to do? Well, let me think. Tom thought a long time. Then he said, Now, I'll tell you, uh, the back door of that, number two, is the door that comes out into it a little close to the alley between the tavern and the old uh, rattle trap of a brick store. Now you get a hold of the door keys, and you can find I'll nip all of Auntie's, and uh, the first dark night, we'll go there and we'll try him. Uh, and mind you, keep a lookout for Injun Joe, because uh, he said he was going to drop into town and spy around once more for a chance to get his revenge. If you see him, you just follow him. And if you don't, go to that number two, and that ain't the place. Lordy, I don't want to follow him myself. Well, he'll be all right. Sure, he, he might never see you. Uh, and if he did, maybe he'd never think anything. Well, if it's pretty dark, I reckon I'll track him. I don't know, I don't know. I'll try. Yeah, you bet I'll follow him. If it's dark, Huck, why, he might have found out he uh, couldn't get his revenge and uh, be going right after the money. It's so, Tom, it's so, I'll follow him, I'll will, by jingos. Ah, now you're talking. <laughs> Don't you ever weaken, Huck, and I won't. What do we learn here today? We learn that adventure can be found around every corner. Uh, if you set your mind to something, uh, like digging up treasure, uh, you'll find that treasure. Uh, look out for Spaniards. This is the best I can come up with. I'm trying to tie it into what I said earlier, but I said nothing earlier, because nothing's going on in my life. So, uh, I can't tie it into anything. Except that, the lives of two little, uh, completely made-up and imaginary boys will always be far more exciting than me as a grown adult who has his own income and drives a car and owns a house will ever be. These two little boys that uh, don't even exist, except in the mind of Mark Twain, live a purposeful and more meaningful life than most people ever will forever. Eh, that's pretty weak, too. I don't know. I got nothing. This has just been a dud as far as uh, monologues go. So thanks for listening, and uh, I will see you again this week. <laughs>